can certainly say I don't have a clue, but I can make some guesses. What kind of wisdom will people need to capitalize on for the positive change you talk about? These are terrible questions, by the way. Welcome back to the World After COVID mini-series of the On Wisdom podcast with Igor Grossman and Charles Cassidy. Over the next 20 minutes, you'll be hearing insights and forecasts from some of the world's leading thinkers on what our post-pandemic world may look like, for good and for bad, and what kinds of wisdom may best help us navigate this new world. Hey, Charles. How's it going? Hello, Igor. Very well. I'm excited about today. It sounds like we're going to be doing some constructive things about how we might make the world a better place, which is, you know, I'm all about that. So I'm on board. I like that. I mean, I think the last few podcasts we had were a little bit depressing. We tried to focus on the positive. And somehow we always (laughs) ended up talking about structural inequalities and governments like perpetuating inequality. So maybe we can figure out something here. Yeah, we're going to fix it all in the next 20 minutes. Very exciting. That's right. Yeah. Um, but no, I'm well. I'm excited. Um, doing yoga every morning. I hurt my leg. I told you. Did I tell you I bust my foot? Um, no. And doing yoga? What kind no, of yoga I, are you doing? <laughs> I bust my foot on New Year's Eve. My leg oh my fell goodness. asleep but didn't tell me. So when I stood up, I fell over and crunched. Oh my, my foot. goodness. That's horrible. It was not I mean, bad. It, 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 was it, not it could be funny if it was not horrible. It was kind of, kind of funny, I guess, to watch but not to do. Um, but uh, oh, I'm back. Yeah, yeah. I'm back. I'm at 90. I'm going to say 92% fitness 92% fitness so you're and by the way you have to take 100% was my previous fitness not actually 100% fit like it's just I'm 92% back to what I was before which was not that healthy but yeah so I'm on the mend so yeah how about you I'm good I mean you know um, well I don't know if you know but I never ran uh, outside when it was minus temperatures before and uh, uh, Julia and I we now started uh, running outside in the uh, snow. Oh, uh, crazy. You know, we prepare and warm up inside otherwise we'll freeze our asses off yeah, and then yeah. uh, we uh, jog around Queens Park and uh, wait for Doug Ford to come out of the building and wave <laughs> at us. Didn't right. happen yet. <laughs> You run to the beer store and back. Uh, no, we haven't done that. Uh, <laughs> but we did uh, run to Casaloma that you probably have seen in a bunch of movies and back. Okay. And uh, what what movie would I have seen Casaloma in? Probably all those that you don't like watching, like X Men, uh, oh, okay. Umbrella Academy. Oh, I do not like the Umbrella Academy. I wanted to like it. I was on board the concept. Oh, even, you're breaking even my the, heart. The chimpanzee the, the, with the posh. Wait, accent. the first or the second season? I watched about two really episodes good. of the first season and I was like, oh, I am not on board. You have to get into it. Oh, okay, the okay. second season is much better. All right, okay. I, I'm, I'm making a note. I'm writing this down. Um, Sounds good. Okay, so this is where we're going to fix everything. That's very exciting. Um, we will. What Ask is personally. the question? What is the question that was asked? Okay, so I asked people, what kind of wisdom will people need to capitalize on for the positive societal and or psychological changes they were just telling me before that, after the pandemic. Okay. So the question is about wisdom, and we define wisdom as sort of psychological or behavioral strategies okay. that people can use. Okay, so this this could be quite a useful episode for the listeners. Maybe. Maybe. That's an exciting We'll see. Prospect. Yeah, let's see. Uh, so what have you got for us? Okay. I think that people will need to recognize the value of flexibility and the value of compassion and the value of giving themselves a break as they cope with these uh, unprecedented times. I think that many people who've encountered tragedy before 
learned, have learned the value of flexibility and compassion. But I think that now many more people will be embracing and need to learn those values and embrace those values sooner, again, as I said previously, sooner than they might have expected to have to do so. So this is Roxanne Cohen-Silver, okay. she's a professor of psychology at uh, University of California, Irvine. Okay. Uh, she is the founding director of Psychology Beyond Borders and the current president of the Federation of Associations in Behavioral and Brain Sciences, the Umbrella Association that involves various uh, psychological and behavioral science societies. Okay, she sounds like quite a big deal. Yeah, she also happens to be one of the preeminent experts in the field of stress and coping, especially in the time of traumatic events like terrorist <laughs> attacks, earthquakes. Right yeah. Uh, yeah, so she kind of knows what she's talking about, I think. Yeah, fair enough. You picked this quote out for a reason, Igor. Why is it speaking to you? Uh, Roxy's talking about this kind of need to recognize the value of flexibility, the value of compassion, yeah. Yeah. like giving yourself a break. Yeah, I like that. Um, and I'm not sure exactly what it's supposed to look like. How exactly are you supposed to give yourself a break these days? I feel like I have more work now than ever before. Huh. And it's just like never stopping. And it's just like constant flux. So I'm just wondering, so these are great recommendations. And I'm trying to be as flexible as I can. I think like, just like I, it's just like I have no choice. But What um, do you mean you have no choice? Well, you know, like otherwise you'll just go crazy. Like if you if you don't forgive yourself, if you're mm. not compassionate towards yourself and towards others, because everybody's in the same boat. Like mm. I, have a, I have a postdoc who has two young children. One of them is diabetic. Uh, her husband had to go to Israel for three weeks. She was all on her own over the holidays without any help and uh, without any school. Mm. And of course, I have to be compassionate towards her. Or, you know, like everybody is in the same board and most people actually have it much worse than I do. Yeah. So, yeah, this kind of ties a bit to what together to what we were saying earlier about the mm -hmm. problems with virtual platforms is this illusion that we can just keep on trucking and we should have the same expectations of ourselves of I can all my projects. Yeah, I can just keep pushing them forward. Whereas I think what she's getting at here is like you need to let that go a little bit. You're not going to be able to. <laughs> Meet and, and probably a lot of people you know and lot you work with are you know quite goal driven and achievement focused. Yeah, and, absolutely. And that's and in normal times that's great, but it's just not something that you can really you can't hold yourself to those standards anymore, and probably will kill yourself if you do. <laughs> that's probably true. Mm. But I had this attitude before, so maybe it's like just healthy for some people who really get disappointed when something does not happen, and I'm mm. just like so. I mean, like on on the outside. People may think that I'm like uh, super successful and everything, but you know, for every success, there are 20 failures. Which no one uh, hears so, about. Yeah. That's right. Nobody yeah. hears about them. And so I'll be just like, as many academics, I'm just uh, accepting uh, rejections and yeah. uh, failures yeah. and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but it is, I think, what, what was st struck me here is that, uh, like, how do you sort of like recognize the value of flexibility and compassion again in the virtual age? How do you do it when everything is online and you actually cannot show compassion in the same way how you may have been able to do so before when you saw people face to face? So for me, that is a frontier for research that probably a lot of people will be spending a lot of time looking into in the years to come. I mean, it does. It suppose maybe you have a different idea of what compassion is, but like just being super literal about it. You know, if someone say you could be compassionate if someone wasn't going to hit a deadline, for example, you know, with a project at work, 
you know, you could be like, hey, yeah. I understand that it's a Absolutely. tricky situation. So that's that's something that can happen virtually. But that's reasonable. It's not. It's not just. It's not. It's, yeah. it's, not, it's, it's not like it's not showing sort of mm. like uh, that you care. It's just like, of course, it's a given. Uh, mm, but mm. I, I'm talking about the actual, you know, behavioral science because compassion also involves behavioral science uh, expressions and so on. Yeah. And I, I wonder, is there an effective way to communicate that through the internet? But when you have conversation, I mean, even say when we started, before we started recording, you were mm-hmm. clearly conveying emotion and concern when you asked me, how are you doing, Charles? What's going on? You know, that that's not blocked from it being virtual you know i, I could no, still, absolutely absolutely but yeah. but there's still like fewer channels right and sure. often uh when you reduce the number of channels things mm. get lost in translation yeah. or because yeah. it becomes more and more abstract so because you know you may be able to see the person but only from a particular angle or maybe your internet connection is not very good so you can't even see the person you can yeah. just hear them or maybe that doesn't work and you can only see a small text and then the text is you know, take it yeah. out of context. Maybe an emoji, maybe a smiley face emoji, thumbs up. That's all you hey, get. As long as it's not the poop emoji, <laughs> but maybe that will be a way. You know, actually, in the time of the pandemic, the poop emoji should be uh, the symbol of compassion because <laughs> that's what everybody's life is like this day. Pretty much, pretty much. Okay, let's let's have a listen to what else you've got for us, Eagle. Sounds good. We will need to remember these experiences. We will need to remember what it was like to step outside of our culture and look inward. To the extent that we forget and we simply go back to the way that our lives were lived before, we will lose the lessons that we have hopefully been taught during this challenging time. Okay. Yeah. Am I right in recognizing that voice? Is that a former On Wisdom podcast guest? So who is that, Charles? I think that's Laura Carstensen. Bingo! Yes, ching. Yeah, this is it's probably around a similar time as Barry's uh, Barry Schwartz's episode. So uh, we know a little bit about Laura. Maybe you can remind us. Yeah, so Laura is a professor of psychology, specializing on aging, psychology and aging, uh, from Stanford University. She is a very distinguished researcher, National Academy of Medicine fellow, Guggenheim Fellowship. Okay. A fellow, and um, she's the founding director of the Stanford Center on Longevity. And by the way, this uh, recording is from close to the last day of September. Okay, and she's also a former guest, so very dis- you know on our show, so it's very distinguished career. That's right. That, yeah. that was just like the cherry. That's right. Uh, That's took I'm sure she thought about it that way. <laughs> All right, so yeah, this is kind of interesting. Um, I think this is going to resonate with some of the some of the quotes that I've got in the bank for later as well. So, um, but what? Yeah, what? What are you? What's jumping out at you here? Well, it's interesting. So, this idea of uh, uh, cultural perspective and stepping outside of your familiar culture, and I mean, I think it's really exciting to think about it that way. And also that you have to keep in mind, I think that's what you meant by saying that you will have a few other quotes like that to be able to learn. The lessons you have to remember the lessons yeah. in the first place, but uh, my my main interest was uh, in emphasizing this idea of uh, self distancing uh, by uh, taking a broader perspective on your behavior and reevaluating potentially your behavior and uh, your cultural expectations 
uh, by stepping outside of your sort of yeah. habitual view of yourself. It's not yeah. a surprise that I'll be talking about self-distancing, given that I've done research <laughs> on self-distancing. <laughs> yeah. But um, uh, I think it's important. Yeah, and it reminds me, was it Yukiko Ushida? The yes. phantom volleyball player? Phantom volleyball. Why phantom? Because it was a mystery. You'd known her for years and then... <laughs> and then recently right. you learned That's she right. was national pro level. Um, <laughs> That's right. But she mentioned this idea. It's an opportunity to look at what we thought of as our culture was normal. You know, now we're, yes. we look at it, we get this opportunity to step outside our culture and go, is that, is, you know what, is that sensible? I mean, that is what we've been doing. But it's, you know, it's just like someone grabbing hold of you and saying, sit down. Does this make sense what you're doing? And we don't, we very rarely get that opportunity. But this, this pandemic is definitely doing that in, in spades. Yeah, Absolutely. So what about this? Did you want to go more into this idea of, you know, self-distancing in the context of the pandemic? Well, I'm not sure. Uh, we will <laughs> be talking about self-distancing later. I feel like uh, it's probably important, probably helps. Whether it helps necessarily to sustain the positive changes that will be happening over the course of the pandemic is a separate question. Yeah. It's almost a new line of empirical research that needs to be done there by somebody who is not me. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it certainly works. Uh, Self-distancing helps to some extent and, uh, you know, helps you to regulate your emotions and maybe helps people to achieve something positive in their lives. Yeah, I think there's maybe a couple of things going on here, like talking about it individually, which is the self-distancing and the way you talk about it. But then there's this idea of, as a culture, having this opportunity to reevaluate what we're doing, which they're quite, they're sort of, they sound similar, but they're quite different processes, aren't they really? Because the self-distancing you talk about is literally something that an ind a sort of um, a strategy an individual can use to get an external perspective on their dilemma. Whereas the, the cultural idea, that's, you know, that's just a broad thing that happens across newspapers and governments. And, you know, you know so they're quite different, don't you think? I don't disagree with you, but uh, Laura Carstensen does talk about the individual level. She talks yeah, about yeah, exactly. uh, yeah. what it's like to step outside of your culture and remembering that how when you stepped outside of your culture and looked inward and uh, this type of perspective and lessons from that perspective would be really important to keep in mind as you're trying to figure out how to sustain the positive. I, I'm going to play a quote. One of my quotes, Sounds which good. I think just follows very neatly on from this. Um, Beautiful. So it's almost like we planned it or something. Um, no, we didn't. We didn't. <laughs> That's what's funny about it. Um, Never. Right. Okay. So I think to address the intense political polarization and to reap the benefits of living together, forming a social community, we need at least two components of, of wisdom. The first one, I think, is something like openness to others, as different as they may be. Right? So I think we should learn to open to others, even if they come from the other side, whatever the other side is. And the second one, which is related, is what I like to call a sense of social of self-distanciation, self-distancing, not social distancing as we, we've seen, but self-distancing. And I think it's a learning uh, that we must learn that some of the ideals or values that define us maybe aren't that essential to who we are. And once we've self, we've, we've, we've gained self-dissociation, we may be better to uh, interact with people on the other side, whatever the other side looks like. Huh. I think we're going to need some uh, clarification around terms here. But who are we listening to? So there's a good friend of mine, a dear friend, uh, Edouard Machery, 
Uh, he is one of the preeminent uh, philosophers, right? Experimental philosophers in North America. He's uh, uh, at uh, University of Pittsburgh right now, where he's the director of the Center for Philosophy of Science. Okay, and I think this happened on my birthday. Ha! <laughs> so when was that? Twenty fifth of June. Okay. The listeners know when my birthday is, Eagle. Come on, let's not patronize them. I get gifts. Well, I was, all the, time. I, I, the question was more for me to remind <laughs> me when the birthday was. Yeah. I'm sure the listeners do know. The listeners know. It's six months from Christmas. Probably shouldn't give personal information away. I'll have my identity stolen. Um, but yeah, so this was on my birthday. Quite So we're quite early on then in, in re- relation to other, some of the other interviews. That's right. Yeah. So why did, what, what was it about this? Well, firstly, I think maybe you, you, might, you might have some terms that you want to just clarify afterwards. But I guess what I liked about this was this idea of creating some space. It was the second part where he says, um, yeah. Uh, some of uh, we learned some of the ideals or values that define us aren't that essential to who we are because i'm just speaking to the times you know the times we're living in right right um we we are just like so completely political you know like everything's political someone a friend of mine the other day was saying you just wouldn't maybe in the say in the 60s you'd very unlikely very unlikely to get interracial relationships whereas now the idea of sort of interpolitical <laughs> relationships seem seem quite rare you know for a really? per- person on the left to be with someone on the right seems quite unlikely. That, I mean, again, this isn't, this is, I'm not speaking from data, I'm just speaking from my own experience. That's right. So I, but I, th- I think there is a lot of value into creating a bit of space between ideas that you think are good, useful, helpful ideas mm-hmm. and who you are. And you could say, well, what are you if you aren't your ideas? But I, I think that's that's a problem. And I think what he's saying here is if we could just create a bit of space between what we think are good ideas and who we are, that would make it easier for us to learn from people who have different ideas. And if they criticize our ideas, fine, they're not criticizing us. I don't know if I'm being naive and idealistic to think that we can do that. Maybe you can't separate yourself from your ideas, but it seems like it could be a good strategy to just find, you know, making some space to interact with other people's ideas without criticizing them themselves and likewise does that make sense no it does make sense i mean uh, the idea of self-distancing that i mean he kind of redefines it in more yeah sort of like interesting terms like the social offset dissociation but still kind of the same uh process conceptually does lead to sort of a great open-mindedness right uh, so you can see how you know like if you take a step back and look at yourself from afar on your expectations on mm-hmm. your values maybe it will make you more open-minded open to others more humble about your knowledge or what you think you know about yeah. something yeah so that that could help with political polarization i'm not sure it does help right now i mean it seems like even after the horrible capital attacks mm. uh, the insurrection uh, there's still a number of politicians who are not willing to they just want to let it slide for Trump. And I mean, the, the main reason why they want to do it, I, I totally get it, because they're afraid of their votes and uh, their constituents who, who've who been so rallied behind Trump that they will feel like they've been lied to because uh, their politicians uh, do not really do what they want them to do. Even yeah. what they want them to do is horrible. Yeah. How do you pronounce this guy's first name? Edward. Edward. He is definitely, in terms of a strategy, this is a, sounds like a useful strategy for 
ensuring positive consequences as a result of the pandemic. It does sound like he answers your question here. Yeah, he does. Yeah. One of the few. Yeah. So I just wanted to highlight that, that we actually got a good, solid <laughs> strategy. Kudos to Edwards, one yeah. of the 57. Yeah, nice. Um, and from the, so he's an experimental philosopher. That sounds cool. But yeah, so there's something constructive there, which I think is helpful. How about I play you another quote? Let's do it. Well, I think part of it is the, is the wisdom of memory. That is to say, it's very easy to think something in a certain moment in time and forget about it down the line. And of course, what it's very hard to wrap our head around at the moment is the fact that we're not always going to be locked down. We're going to move back to something closer to normal at some point, particularly if there's a vaccine. And then it's very important not to forget the lessons of this. So I think it's quite important to imprint on our minds the kinds of things we're thinking about now. Uh, and I also then think what we need is a degree of engagement with politics to ensure that political leaders don't forget the lessons. I mean, in a way, cynically speaking, that the recent history of my country is a history of crises that we failed to make the most out of. You go all the way back to 2008 when you had the financial crisis, we missed an opportunity to think through questions of inequality, the excessive role of financial services in the British economy and so on. Also in 2008, we had the MPs cash for, question, uh, for the, the expenses scandal. We didn't think through whether there were better or different ways of doing politics. In 2016, we had the Brexit referendum, which was about many things, but partly about dissatisfaction with the state of the national economy. Tell us, tell us who we're listening to. It's nice to hear a British accent. Who is this? This is Anand Menon. Uh, he's a professor of European politics and foreign affairs at King's College in London. He's a, one of the preeminent uh, public intellectuals in Britain, and uh, he's also a fellow of the Chatham House, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I was very fortunate to get him. And this is early July, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, firstly, I just picked it because it's nice to have some British accents in there. It's lovely. But Not I obviously, because it's Anand Menon. <laughs> yeah, um, no, I mean... Okay, it, it obviously relates quite closely to what Laura said about, you know, we need to remember. Right, right, right. Yeah, so that's, there's that point being echoed. But um, what I, the, so this is the idea, what can we learn from pandemics? You know, we have to remember um, these things that we're thinking now, we could very easily forget about. And sure, Laura said that. But the reason I particularly liked this was that he gave this crystal clear example yeah. I love this bit when he goes, the recent history of my country is a history of crises that we failed to make the most out of. That's brilliant. But but he then gives this example about the financial crisis. And the financial crisis was an opportunity. It was a terrible scenario, a terrible situation, right. and lots of wringing of hands. And everyone, I think, pretty much agrees nothing really happened as a consequence in terms of new regulations yeah. or, or putting anything permanent structurally in place. And If um, anything, the opposite, probably. Right, right. So that was a, a really bad global problem that had huge fallout. And we just didn't learn anything from it. We didn't put anything in place to... Well, we didn't learn the Well, lessons. the Obama administration did. I think in Britain, it's a different story. Sure. But it, then he... he you know, uh, draws quite a direct line between that and Brexit. Right. So, I mean, you could debate that till the cows come home. But the point, what's nice about this is like there was a crisis, lessons weren't learned, and then there was negative fallout really quite quickly because we didn't learn those lessons. So I liked the fact that this was an, a non this was a very concrete example of the importance of learning these lessons. Um, so that's why that's, that's interesting. Why, yeah, 
So you think this is then about learning the lessons or keeping the memory of the pandemic in your mind? Or is this about addressing the socio-structural inequalities or issues of the moment? Well, I think it's the memory of yeah. the problem, so we address it. <laughs> um, because he, he's saying, you know, we're having these ideas now about all these structural changes that we need to put in place but probably, I think he's saying, typically what happens is you don't re- remember those. You go back to business as yeah. usual. And this yeah. is a theme that's come, acro- come up across the whole the last couple of episodes. Yeah, that's true. Um, and it's also a theme that was particularly pronounced for this uh, question, theme of willingness to introduce uh, political change. There has to be a will yeah. uh, to enact uh, social structural changes uh, to address the inequalities. And it's a big question if that uh, will will actually persist uh, past the pandemic or if everybody will just go back and like, oh, we're so happy. It's all finally over. What Let's go celebrate. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a lot of I, people bring this idea of this kind of uh, jazz age that uh, followed right. the Spanish flu. Yeah, because you, you, you've just been living in misery and you just want to like let your head down. You don't feel like dig, rolling up your sleeves and doing the hard work to prevent it happening again. So I, I would have said... It seems like if you look at history, this is what happens. Potentially. Apart from, well, what about World War Two? Well, didn't some positive things, like, didn't the National Health Service emerge in the UK as a consequence of World yeah, War II? Yeah, I mean, there were, there were certainly uh, some changes, structural changes that yeah. emerged and geopolitical changes that had some positive and then quite shortly thereafter, horrible negative, including the Cold War. Right. So we probably will be seeing some of that. Hopefully not the Cold War, even though that the version of the Cold War between China and yeah. uh, and the, the Western countries already seems to be on the horizon. But. I, I'm going to ask you um, mm-hmm. uh, um, just a, a question, like the, because it's such a big theme about the importance of remembering and learning the lessons so we can affect change. How do we do that? Do you have any sense about how do we, what can one do to ensure that lessons are learned? I'm asking you your question, I guess. <laughs> That's a big question. I don't know. Like, I really don't know because the governments don't even, I think they're just swinging it right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, there has to be the will of the, I mean, well, first of all, you need to have the will of the people to, to really remind the governments and like bring yeah. them, make them accountable. Mm. And then we'll have to see what promises the different politicians who will be electing next, at least in democratic societies, will be making and select those who are actually at least promising to address some of the structural inequalities. Right now, I'm not sure if something will happen in the immediate future because everybody is so focused on the vaccines and everything. Yeah, it's interesting. So you're, you're saying if there's a will amongst the people, then the politicians will follow. But... It could also operate the other way around, like the politicians should, you know, governments should take the lead. Yeah, they, they should inspire. But I mean, that yeah. means that they will lose the election. Sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that means like, and who is ballsy enough to do that? Yeah. Like I have is like, well, let's think about it. Like in the, in the US, probably nobody. In Canada, nobody. In Britain, mm, I don't think that's happening. Uh, in Germany, also don't think that's happening. Uh, Macron, definitely not. So not there good. you have it. Yeah. Uh, so it has to be a totalitarian state. It will function effectively where, you know, they, if the president says something, then it will get done. Yeah. Uh, my brother is working a lot in China at the moment and he's, he's always going on about, yeah, they, they get a lot done in these, <laughs> these totalitarian regimes. 
Yeah, they just said, well, you know, you will sell us this part of the land for very yeah. cheap so we can build a railroad here, high-speed track. Yeah. And you will do that. Yeah. But he, there will be no discussion. He says that the, I mean, from his interactions with Chinese people, they 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 do see the, as the common good question again, they do see the common good as they don't see a distinction between the common good and their good so much. I mean, that sounds like a big question. And that's so kind of a typical of a collectivist society, yeah, uh, for sure. It's not, but he's suggesting they're not just sort of like begrudgingly going, "All right, fine, I'll get you know, I'll get in trouble if I don't do it." It's that you know, that's that's more how they think about things. Yeah, to some extent. To some extent, some sure. of them, those yeah. who are doing better than others. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, Igor, I'm liking that we're talking about some practical things that could be helpful to to harness and capitalize on some of these positive changes it's nice to get some uh, some strategies in place especially something concrete yeah something concrete that's nice and I, the one that's staying with me is from the f- experimental philosopher edward i like that idea of creating that distance between your identity and your ideas yeah i like yeah. that too yeah all right very biased but of course I'd like yeah you would like that yeah not a surprise um all right let's wrap it up okay see you later and that's it for today's episode of the World After COVID miniseries. Thank you to our listeners. Igor, big question. If people want to know more about the project, where do they go? They can go to the www.worldaftercovid.info. Please stay well and safe. Goodbye. Goodbye.